Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, we have returned to the uh, letter to the Hebrews. We spent a little time away uh, studying Jonah um, and those uh, recordings have been uploaded. I hope that you uh, find time to go and check that, check that out. Maybe uh, there'll be a blessing there for you. I know I was blessed in the study. It's a small book, but it has so much in it that I think is applicable to people today. It's just amazing how the Word of God is able to, um, that it's eternal, it's living, and uh, it's able to address um, believers in any age. So here we are back in Hebrews. We left off last time at Hebrews chapter 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we're going to continue um, uh, in that study here in, in verse 3. Uh, it's going to continue that same pattern that we started. And I'm going to go ahead and read the verse first. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. I'm reading from the King James Version. Um, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So the subject of this chapter starts off with the challenge of living a life in Christ, a life of faith, walking by faith with the uh, hindrance of unbelief. Because as we know, uh, believers have an old nature. We have a new nature in Christ. We have the old nature. And uh, the old nature is what we battle against. Um, and that old nature is an old nature of unbelief. And that unbelief can creep into our lives and cause us to uh, get off track. And so here the writer uh, of the letter to the Hebrews is giving us some insight into how we can overcome this, um, this sin that so easily besets us is what he is how he described it. And so I think it's important for us to kind of look at each one of these verses to really pick them apart as much as possible in hopes that we find some fruit that would allow us to grow and nurture our spiritual side. So we've moved from the very structured and doctrinal comparisons of the Old Testament relationship uh, to the better things of the church age. That's that's what we moved from chapter uh, 10 and, and, and the chapters prior to chapter 10 were very doctrinal and trying to kind of build this case or argument to the Hebrew believers that in spite of all the hard things that they were facing, and they were facing some very, very difficult times when this was written, um, that in spite of that, things are better. Uh, and that's a tough case. You know, they're looking around and they're seeing their circumstances and they don't see things as better. They seem to have gotten much worse. But that's where we have to understand that um, we tend to look at things through our eyes that we were born with, through that, um, that old nature. Um, that's what we default to easily because we've had so much more time uh, in that state than we have in this new life. And so that's the task of the apostles. That's the task of the word of God 
to help us to become accustomed to the spiritual person that God is making us into, that he has purposed for us to be. And so that's the challenge. So here the writer is moving into the very practical things associated with just living a life in Christ. And hopefully we'll see some of that as we continue in this study. So the writer has a very wide view of creation events and his presentation begins like from the days of Adam. You know, we saw how that he went all the way back and he carried us through a history lesson in chapter 11 when he talked about faith and he used all those different examples to show and to prove his point. And he moves to from that, you know, the days of Adam up to our current age, which is the church age, which encompasses uh, the beginning of it was at Pentecost and moves up until today, the very day we live in now. And it will not end until the rapture. And so this is the time of the Gentiles. This is the uh, church age where God is calling out a people. And um, I mentioned in Jonah how that Jonah was a kind of a... Um, little mini microcosm type picture of this age and that um, God would start calling out the Gentiles. And that's where we are. We live in that age. And so he's brought us right up to that point. And so he's trying to get this point across to the Hebrews so they would understand that and see beyond their circumstances. It's very important for them to see that. And hopefully we'll also be able to see beyond our circumstances because nothing has changed. Um, the same enemies of faith that existed then, they exist now. And so we live in a different time and we think, oh, we're so much more advanced, but the, the nature of man has not changed. And so hopefully we'll also draw some strength and uh, encouragement from what the writer is uh, presenting. So the writer of the letter of Hebrews touches on several biblical events in the process of uh, taking us on this kind of journey. But none of those are more monumentous than what he touches on in verse 3. In verse 2, we were exhorted to look to Jesus, very simply, and to see him as the one who has been touched with all of our infirmities. Um, Jesus, when he, in his first incarnation, he was born of a virgin um, and he took upon flesh. Well, what does that mean? Uh, the doctrinal, Dr. Godbrain's um, way of describing that is called a hypostatic union, right? Which is just a big word that means that Jesus is... Um, fully human and fully God, right? That he maintains both of those states in one. That's why it's called a hypostatic union. And uh, in his, from the point of his conception in Mary's womb, he was fully man and fully God. Uh, and it's kind of hard for us to really kind of wrap our minds around that. But, you know, God the Holy Spirit is... We'll, we'll help you with that. But just understand that, you know, he was able to understand and experience life from the standpoint 
as a man would, uh, just apart from sin. Um, the word describes this as Jesus putting on flesh and blood like a garment. You know, you can think about it as him. He put upon flesh. He took a flesh upon him. He's, he existed in this spiritual glorified state. And he humbled himself by placing flesh upon him. The only thing is, is that this garment is one that he will wear forever. Um, he, can, he never takes his garment off. He can't. That was part of becoming flesh and blood is that he would forever be in this state. Uh, and that's why it says that he humbled himself. And this is what he did for us. Um, in the beginning of the verse, verse 3, we're told as a remedy to unbelief in the subsequent sin that uh, we should consider Jesus. And this is how I know, this is how the writer tells us that he is giving us some insight into what is the only contradiction, the only way to overcome this sin that so easily besets us. Uh, now, I do think the immediate application is for us to consider the value and the results of the life of Christ on earth in a flesh, in a flesh and blood form. And the great benefits of this life to mankind, right? Uh, and, and that it did away with sin. He satisfied the requirements to uh, take away the penalty that sin requires. He satisfied that. That's the immediate application when it says to consider him. But I think we should take this opportunity to consider Jesus Christ in a more broad manner, even like the, the, the writer has done, um, to consider him from the standpoint of his progressive revelation, uh, the progressive relationship that he has with mankind throughout time, um, and how that uh, he has entered into this relationship of his own choosing. This is all the plan and purpose of God from the creation of the universe, from the creation of Adam up till this very day, even until the, um, the end of um, the church age and the ages to come to where we reach the eternal state. God has a purpose in all of these things. That same truth is applied to you personally. Everything that he's doing in your life, everything he's doing in my life, there's a purpose for it. And we may not know all of the details in between, but we do know some things. We know what we need to do and where we need to go to be successful. And it starts with considering him. So I'd like to take a little more time, um, and it would take a lot more time than I have, and a much better teacher, but I'd like to take a little more time to, to kind of look at this subject uh, to see if we can get a, a proper understanding of exactly what it means to consider him. Because it says, it's what the, the writer says for consider him. And it's so simple, you know, and it's something that we have to be told to do. Um, but it's something that we should do. It's something that is necessary for our spiritual growth and development. So we can start anywhere we want to when it 
comes to considering him. My old pastor used to say the word of God is like ice cream. No matter where you dig in, it's good. And that's true with the Lord Jesus, that you can start anywhere. You can consider him in any way you like, and it's going to be a joy and a pleasure. So we can start by considering his power in creating the universe. That's something to meditate on. Or his presence uh, outside the confines of his creation, how that he exists outside of his creation. That's something to meditate on. Or we can think of his attributes, his perfections, um, as described by uh, Arthur Pink in his book, The Attributes of God. To, to study these things and to consider these things help us to grow in, in our spiritual lives and it helps us to understand who, it is, who the Lord is and who it is that we serve because we don't know. We know him only because he has revealed himself to us. And we have the ability, we have the privilege to learn as much as we want to about him, you know, but we have to put forth the effort and we have to take up his word and to learn of him. And the more we learn of him, the more we're going to understand and the smaller our circumstances are going to seem. It's very important to understand that relationship. So it's, so my point is that we have a lot to consider. Jesus has give, given us many wonderful things to meditate upon. The point of this verse is that we don't consider him as much as we should. That's why the writer has to tell us. The writer knows that the sin of unbelief is directly linked to our behavior. Our behavior is as predictable as the sunrise when we're in a state of unbelief. And our enemy exploits this predictability when we're not looking to Jesus. And the results are spiritually damaging. Understand what I'm saying. That when we go down a path of unbelief, we become very predictable. And the enemy takes advantage of that. Right. Very important that we uh, take advantage of all the word of God, all the things that the Lord has given us to walk this walk of faith, to live this life of faith. So let's spend our thoughts, you know, on thinking on these things, whatsoever is good, <coughs> whatsoever is pure, what's whatever is of good report, you know. Paul says, think on these things. That's where our mind should be. And it's important that we keep our mind there because that's our spiritual selves. That's our spiritual lives. And we need to feed that. So Jesus is perfection. We know that. And he has, via his spirit, invited us to this holy table of fellowship. You know. At this table, we have everything that our soul needs in abundance. We have a constant meal of love, faith, and hope. The more we consume of him and his word, we find satisfaction and contentment. That's where it's found. In Jesus, we have food for our heart. You know, the new heart that he's given us with, with uh, the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. And our minds. The more time we spend consuming his word, we'll become fruitful and bear fruit 
that are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, long-suffering, peace, joy, you know, all these fruit that glorify Him. And the, the thing that makes this so special when we manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, what makes it so special is that it's ephemeral in its nature and that we can only manifest this fruit in this life that we live now. There's something special about glorifying God on earth, in this body, in this warfare that is going on. When we have our eyes on him and we walk by faith, it glorifies him in a way that we'll never be able to again. That's why there's rewards that will be given to us for this glorification, for this walking by faith, for this service that we're performing. Because, and the, the rewards have an eternal weight of glory. So there's something very special about it. We may not completely understand that, but that's not important. What's important is that we are obedient to the word of God and that we do it. And we will reap the blessings. We will reap the benefits of faith. And that's what we saw in chapter 11. We saw all these people who reap the benefits of faith uh, in various ways, in various circumstances. So it says, for consider him that endured. Uh, I think it's important to understand that that gives us kind of... Uh, insight into the direction of this exhortation from the writer. He's saying, not, don't just consider him, but consider him that endured. So they, the writer is wanting us to consider very specific things about the Lord Jesus and in relation to our walk of faith. Our circumstances are varied. You have your circumstances, I have mine. They're just as you know different as can be. But what's consistent is our response to the circumstances, and that's faith, to live by faith. Uh, we live a life of faith, and faith is tried. We saw that in the last chapter. An aspect of faith is that it's tried, it's tested. And when it's tested, you grow, okay? It's, it's a workout. Those muscles have to be worked to grow, to grow stronger. Uh, and that's just a part of it. That's something that, and those two things can't be separated. Faith must be tested. That's just how it works. So we know we're going to live a life of trials, of tests, of uh, different things that are going to come to us. Uh, we saw that in chapter 11. All those people of the past, they they lived a life of faith. Um and that's how they were victorious through faith, walking by faith. Faith is manifested in the conditions of difficulty. That's a good one. So faith is manifested in difficult situations. That's where faith is manifested. That's how it's tested and that's where it's seen. That's where it's uh, outwardly seen by others. And it's important that we understand that as we walk by faith, it affects those around us, whether they be saved or not. Faith has that testimony. It has that. That's how God is glorified in our walk. 
So our lives will involve various degrees of difficulty. Okay, so that's a axiom. We know that it's just part of the deal. In heaven, we'll put on these comfortable robes of righteousness that we'll wear forever. Uh, that's a truth that's very comforting to us. But here and now, we're instructed to wear a full suit of armor. That's very different. Uh, I think when we walk by faith and we're enjoying that fellowship and that peace that surpasses all understanding, we get into this euphoric state where we think, man, we've arrived. This is, this is good. This is what I want. This is great. I'm experiencing the love of God. This is awesome. And we get lulled into a sense of complacency and we decide, you know, I don't really need to wear that armor. Things are going great. I mean, I got my eyes on the Lord. I'm rejoicing. I'm spending time in his word. No need for that armor to be worn. I'm good. And we go out unprotected. And the thing is, is that our enemy is constantly shooting a barrage of flaming arrows at us. Constantly. And as soon as we don't wear any piece of that armor, we don't put on the whole armor of Christ, those arrows start penetrating. And then we find ourselves going down a different path. So it's really important for us to understand that we are on a battlefield. We live in a foreign country. We're warriors and soldiers of the gospel message. And that we have to be vigilant. You know, we can't let our guard down at any time. We have to keep our eyes on the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. And we must consider him. Uh, the book of the Acts, I think, is a good example. To me, the Acts, uh, the book of the Acts are actions of faith. We get to see people living out uh, and doing these actions of faith or living this life of faith. And we get to see the accounts of that, which is very exciting. The only people, if you notice, who welcome Christians in Acts are those who are Christians or those who become Christians through the preaching of the gospel. Everybody else is very anti-Christ. Hmm, that's interesting, right? Because the, the Bible says the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And that's what the word is speaking of. We live in a world that is anti or opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we associate ourselves with him, uh, which we are through the gospel, um, they're going to be anti-us, potentially. If, they're not, if they don't respond positively to the gospel message, then they're going to be anti-us. But that's okay. Because even in that, we are witnesses and we have a testimony for Christ. And it's important that we embrace that. And the only, way can, the only way we can do that is to consider him. Uh, that's what is going to encourage us to continue in the face of such opposition. So why do we do this? What is the purpose of us to continue on when there are so many people, oftentimes pe people who are very close to us, that are opposed to the life that we live for Christ and opposed to the Lord Jesus um, how do you continue on in the face of that? Uh, well, we have to consider him. We have to consider 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, because he has shown us by example how we are to live this life and to face such things. You know, it makes sense that we would consider him. He is our purpose. He's the focus of why we live our lives and the example that we need to cling to, to look to, is in in him. You know, he is our example in every way, in every aspect of life. We are individually and collectively a part of his eternal story. All of this that is happening is the story of Christ. That's what this is. From creation to the eternal state, it's the story of Christ. It's his story, and we're a part of it. We have an individual role, and we have a collective role as part of the church uh, in this story. And it's an honor, and it's something that we really can't appreciate right now. But one day we'll be able to look back, and we'll be able to see the finished story, and we will be very satisfied, very satisfied in... uh, our part and our role. Not satisfied in that we feel like that we did a great job, but satisfied in the fact that we were allowed to be a part of that story. Um, And we have to remember that. He has created all things uh, with the clear stated purpose of glorifying himself. That's what all of this is about. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And it's all about him glorifying himself. And we have to keep that, you know, at the forefront of our minds so that we'll understand what our role is and what our purpose is. As we focus on his life and his first incarnation, uh, we can see that he humbled himself in order to accomplish what only he could. The Lord Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood because he was the only one able to save mankind. He set the stage and he set the requirements in the Old Testament economy. So that's that's something to consider too. Consider the fact that Jesus created all the circumstances that would require him to endure. Right? He did that purposefully. And if there's a purpose for it in him doing that, in him enduring, then there's a purpose in us doing it. We have to just kind of look at it from their perspective. So one of the things that God said as a rule is there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. God made that rule. And he was subsequent to his own rule. Uh, The second thing, he said that no man or created thing could qualify as a satisfactory sacrifice to permanently do away with sin. He set that rule, and he was subsequent to that rule. Uh, These two rules basically enslave mankind into an eternal bondage, uh, hopeless and helpless to be permanently separated from a holy God. Because of these rules, There was no way that mankind could ever bridge the gap between man's sin and God's holiness. The only thing that stood between us was judgment, right? That was what stood between 
a holy God and a sinful man. It was judgment. That's all we could look forward to and expect. But Jesus, willing to show his love and grace, became the solution to this problem himself. He overcame the righteous judgment of God by becoming a substitutionary sacrifice for all those who could not do anything in and of themselves. As Adam was the father of all mankind, he was the captain and finisher of unbelief, if you look at it that way. He was the one who was the captain of all mankind. So by his actions, he represented all mankind that would come from him. And he became the captain of unbelief, of sin, uh, leading all men to separation and destruction. So we're separated from God and ultimately lead, led to our destruction. But the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took up on flesh to become the second Adam, he put on this garment of flesh and blood and he lived a life that no man could of sinless perfection, right? So he became the second Adam and he redeemed us, redeemed us from this destruction and this separation. And he brought us to God. The actions of Adam separated man from God. The actions of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought man and reconciled man to God. So in living this life that he lived, um, the Lord Jesus, he endured things. Uh, he endured many things, many things, so many things that I can't even name them all. But I'm going to point out just a few. One thing we know he endured was hatred from his own creation. Uh, John 5, 18, John 7, 1 uh, are just a couple of verses that uh, reveal this. Two, uh, he endured being accused, falsely accused. Uh, have you been falsely accused of things? You know how that feels. It's not a good feeling. Uh, but the Lord Jesus was accused on a very high level uh, constantly. Um, verses like Mark 15.3 reveal that. Also, um, his creation refused to worship him. To this day, his, his creation refuses to worship him. And instead, they'd rather curse using his name. Um, we see that in Romans 1.21. Also, he endured physical challenges, just like we do. He, he endured hunger, fatigue, sorrow, um, all of these things. Um, Matthew 4.2, John 11.35-45 are verses that you can look at to see these truths. So Jesus endured on a level that we don't. Uh, Jesus knew who he was and also what he deserved from his creation. And he didn't receive any of those things. He was aware of the tragic place that sin had brought mankind to and he endured the weight of that knowledge. I mean, it bore heavily upon his heart to see how sin had just wrecked mankind and the, the sickness, um, the, just the despair that was a direct result of sin. And this weighed heavily upon his heart. 
Uh, we're born in the sin and we're conceived in iniquity. That's what the word says. So we don't know anything different until we're saved. Even after we're saved, we still are kind of comfortable moving into sin. Um, only the ministry of the word and God the Holy Spirit can reveal to us that we've moved into this ugly place of sin and make sin something we can feel, we can taste, we can smell. Um, it shows us that the word will show us and God the Holy Spirit will reveal to us that we've kind of taken up residence with pigs and then we can smell the stench of the, the trough, you know? Uh, and we're like, oh yeah, this is bad. This is pretty bad. This is sickening actually. Well, we only know that from God, the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Jesus, he only knew righteousness and therefore he was constantly aware of this stench of sin and to a holy God, this was constantly trying. This was a constant trial. Not that he was ever tempted to enter into sin, but just the fact that he had to live around it and amongst it and and in its presence. Um, that was a constant trial. That's something that he endured. Uh, that's why the writer says, for consider him that endured uh, such contradiction of sinners against himself. So he endured these physical and emotional trials, but he also endured direct contradiction, assault, direct attacks from sinners against himself. It was pointed, it was orchestrated, it was constant. Um, that's, that's the life that the Lord Jesus lived. And, you know, he said that foxes have holes, but... The son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. So he he was homeless. He It was just a very difficult uh, life that he lived uh, on our behalf. Uh, the sad reality is that even those closest to him were sinners. John, who would be so close as to physically you know, lay upon him, uh, to physically touch him, that's the same one who argued over who would be the greatest. And so the Lord Jesus had to see this sin manifested in the people that he loved. And that's hard. If you've experienced that, if you've been saved and then you look at the people that are closest to you who are not saved and you can see that sin and you're aware of what it's doing in their lives, it's difficult. Well, this was experienced by the Lord Jesus on a level that we can't even enter into. So there was also the contradiction of the lost, you know, those who he came to save, that he was, he joyfully came to save. Those who should have received him according to the scriptures, um, but they violently sought to kill him. Uh, the life of Jesus Christ was one of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. If we really consider all that he endured, then it puts our circumstances in perspective, in a perspective that I think the writer is trying to in invoke here. Um, we see in the accounts of him by the apostles, um, only, you know, in that he, you know, he was focused, 
very focused on teaching, on healing and rebuking. We don't see any complaining. There's no whining. There's no, hey, this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. He was solely focused on the task at hand. And he was encouraged and pushed forward by the joy of the results of his actions. And I think we can find a pattern for ourselves there that our joy and rejoicing should be the fact that we know that we're glorifying the Lord Jesus when we walk by faith, when we keep our eyes on him. Um, the Lord Jesus lived a life of purpose, a single-minded focus on the will of the Father. That's that You see it over and over again. I must do the will of the Father. That was his single-minded focus. And we should pattern ourselves after the Lord Jesus in that we should do his will. That should be our focus. That should be our single-minded purpose. And we have to look to him for direction on how to do that. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have detailed accounts of how the Lord Jesus was physically assaulted, accosted, and brutally murdered by the very ones he came to save. Uh, we, we have that detail. We see that that was the result of this love that he has for us to come and to deliver us. That That's how we respond. And that's sin. That's the ugliness of sin. And when we are beset by that, we fall into that same kind of ugliness that caused him such grief and such pain. Uh, and we should consider that. We should consider that so that we don't fall in the sin. We should consider that so that we see sin for what it is in relationship to all that the Lord Jesus has done to deliver us. So Jesus did all these things in this war against evil and sin. Jesus is the example for us. He shows us how we're to stand against sin. And how do you do that? By faith, by keeping your eyes on him by looking to him as the author and finisher of our faith. If sin is so bad that it required the creator of all things uh, to do away with it personally, and in so doing, he had to endure so much, then shouldn't we who claim to love him and have an allegiance to him also endure? Shouldn't we do the same thing? Shouldn't we um, fight against the sin that so easily besets us? And that's what I believe the writer is telling us. Consider Jesus. You know, that is our primary weapon against unbelief. He says, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. So this is the, the danger. You know, we see here that you know where the true battleground is it's in our minds you know that's where we faint that's where we make a conscious decision to believe or not believe uh, we must remember we have to consider we have to meditate upon the facts relating to the person and the perfections of the lord jesus christ this is our protection uh, we can only find these in his word. This is why it's vital, it is so vital to study the word of God, 
to make the word a part of our daily lives and incorporate his truths into our hearts and minds so that we are able to stand. We're able to accomplish this faith walk. Um, so when the trial comes, and we know they're coming, right? We know they're coming, that we can, having done all, stand. And we can uh, continue to serve and to glorify the Lord Jesus. What a joy just to think about these things. Like, I'm overcome with just joy, just just sharing these things with you. And that's why it's important for us to study the word and to fellowship with one another so that we can use our gifts and encourage one another uh, and enjoy the blessing of it, the blessing of his words, the blessing of his, his fellowship with him, uh, even in enduring these things. The danger is that we can become wearied, as it says, and subsequently faint. That's the danger. And we could become weary and well-doing. Uh, as you walk by faith, you will glorify God. Those two things go together. If you walk by faith, you will glorify God. That's, that's understood. The enemy will come for you. You know, when you're doing that, when you have your eyes on the Lord, you're going to do things that glorify God and it's going to affect the people around you. And it's going to incite the enemy to want to make you to stop, right? Because the enemy hates God being glorified, right? So we have to understand that, you know, things are going to become more difficult. But God has grace to make you to be more than conquerors in Christ, to make us to be more than conquerors in Christ. So we have to lean into that grace, walk by faith, and consider him. That's our victory, and that's where our protection is. It's in his word. It's very important for us to uh, keep that in the forefront of our minds. You're going to stumble you know, you're going to look back and go, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, it's going to happen. But you don't have to faint because of it. You don't have to say, oh, well, you know, God can't use me anymore. No, no, he's able to continue to use you. That's why he indwells you with God, the Holy Spirit, because he desires that fellowship. He wants you to know him and Part of knowing him is to stumble, right? So that we can see his grace in a way that we couldn't see it otherwise. Uh, he didn't have to stumble to learn that. He already knows it. But we're in a condition where we sometimes will stumble so that we can learn. Uh, we're, we just have the uh, spirit of man in us. Um, and God the Holy Spirit takes our spirit and confirms that we are the children of God. And sometimes that means we're going to stumble. But you don't have to faint. You can get up, ask the Lord to cleanse you, and place you back on track. That's something that we have. That's a power that we've been given that I don't think we use the way we should or as consistently as we should. We have the ministry of the Lord Jesus as our high priest. That's what's been revealed here in Hebrews. 
he ever lives to make intercession for believers. And I want you to understand what that looks like, right? So the image is, you know, take, we're taken to the throne room of God in heaven, where, you know, you get to be a spectator and you see, and you're going to see Satan there. And he has, he has this PowerPoint presentation that he's presenting to the Father about you. And he's highlighting every failure, right? in that presentation and he is accusing you before the father to say look see see all the failure and he also makes us to see our failures and exacerbates them but then jesus appears and you know what he does he takes that presentation and he wipes it blank so when the father looks at it the father only sees the lord jesus he sees his son right? The one he loves. And so you are now associated with Christ only and not your failures, not your sin. So we have to take advantage of this ministry that the Lord Jesus is engaged in right now, this ministry of being our high priest and go to him, confess our sin, and he's faithful. He'll cleanse us of our sin and place us right back on track. He is our great high priest. We have that. And we have to take advantage of it. So don't look at your circumstances. Uh, consider the goodness and the love of Christ that he endured so much just to show us his eternal love. Just to show you his eternal love. And remember that. Consider that. And look to him for grace for the trial. He's able to deliver us. And he's provided with the trial an exit. We have to, in faith, believe that and wait and endure. Uh, manifest the fruit of the spirit of long-suffering and patience. Uh, and in the meantime, study his word. There's comfort there. There's relief in his word. There's understanding. Uh, there's power and there's strength. Don't forget to praise him. Right? We get to the point where we're asking for all these things and we want, we want, we want. Don't forget to praise him for all that he's done and he's doing and that he will do. You can even praise him for the deliverance that you haven't received yet. Just praise him and thank him for it in faith. You can even praise him for the trials. You can thank God for the circumstances that have led you to grow in faith. So praise him for all these things because all these things are done for you. And it's out of his love for you. Uh, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. We have to enjoy all the things that he's given us. And just continue to enjoy them. You know. And we will manifest uh, grace in a way to other people. And faith. People will see our faith. That we don't even realize are, are watching us. And it will glorify the Lord Jesus. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the letter to the Hebrews. I pray, Father, you would take this lesson and uh, seal it upon my heart and mind so that I would consider you, that we as a church would consider you, and that it would lead to us glorifying you in a way that uh, we can't even imagine. We trust that you will glorify yourself in us and we look forward to the day 
when we will be with you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.